0: Hey everyone, this is Dave Cruz from Flyber Labs, a podcast on business and innovation in the Midwest and beyond. Here you'll meet fascinating people and learn about new technologies and practices that will change how you look at life and business. Enjoy! Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Flyber Labs, and today we are lucky enough to have Louise Poba with us. And Louise is a software engineer at the Open Source Robotics Foundation. And she has quite a fascinating background, too. So she's currently working on different projects at OSR, including a project called Gazebo, which is a robot simulation platform. So I invited Louise on the show to hear more about her background and also hear what she's up to at OSR. And what they're doing by providing these powerful robotic tools to anyone in the world This could really change how robotics are developed, tested, and deployed throughout the world. So Louise, uh, thanks for coming on the show today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Definitely. And uh, so, yeah, you have a really interesting background. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about it?
1: Uh, well, I, I'm i Brazilian. I grew up in Brazil and I went to college in Japan. So I think that's one of the things that people find <laughs> yeah. interesting. In Japan, And you, uh, and you
0: uh, it was in Japanese, too.
1: Yeah, it was all in Japanese. I was studying with Japanese students, like doing everything like the way they do every, all wow. the courses in Japanese. Yeah. Did you know Japanese so before I, going? Or No, it was part of the program I went. I went with a scholarship from the Japanese government, and they just pay you to stay five years in Japan. One year studying Japanese, and wow. after that one year, you join college together with the Japanese students. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's a trial
0: by fire. <laughs> that's, that's not a lot of time to learn Japanese. But...
1: Yeah, it, it's, <laughs> it's quite tight, but <laughs> it, it was enough for me to graduate, I guess. Um, Impressive So yeah So I I studied electromechanical engineering there At Chiba University Okay Gotcha Gotcha And then uh, After that I went to Europe Also with a scholarship This time from the European Union And where I did a master's in robotics So I studied one year in Poland One year in France (laughs) And that's where I started with robotics Gotcha And
0: so where did you learn uh, English?
1: Uh, well, I in Brazil we learn English a little bit okay. at school. So yeah, I did like some English school in Brazil, and but I really learned when I was in Japan because my English was better than my Japanese, and <laughs> that that was the first you know time that I had to use English, and that's where it really took off.
0: <laughs> oh, interesting. All right. So do, yeah. do you know those uh, three languages then? Japanese, English, and. Um, yeah, my my
1: just, Japanese is not as good as my English. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. And and I'm forgetting ever since I I moved out of Japan, I I haven't had the chance to practice as much, so I'm losing my Japanese very quickly. I bet. Yeah. Well, it's, mm-hmm. I have
0: friends who have learned it. And it's it's a lifelong <laughs> endeavor. They say. <laughs> to, yeah. To become really fluent, but all right. So, um, after you got your master's, uh, mm-hmm. what did you do? Um.
1: So yeah, I got my master's, uh, and then uh, right after I finished, I started an internship, a remote internship, with the company that I work at right now, the Open Source Robotics Foundation. It was through a program for for called outreach outreach program for women. So it's for to get women involved in open source. And it was remote. I didn't have to come to the U.S. to work with the Open Source Robotics Foundation. It's all online, open. Um, and it was a great experience. For three months, I was working remotely and making contributions to the project. And after that, I just kept working on them, kept, kept working on them until eventually I was hired to come wow. here to California. Yeah. Okay. Great. And so can you tell us a little bit about uh, OSR? OSRS. Yeah, uh, we have two main projects here. Uh, <laughs> one is the r- robot operating system, and the other one is uh, the Gazebo Simulator that you mentioned. So they, they both play well together. So the robot operating system is not really an operating system. It's more like a framework uh, built on top of other operating systems for uh, people to more easily connect all the bits and pieces of a robot together. So you make your all your drivers for your cameras, for your motors, everything to kind of speak the same language and use the same tools. And that makes the whole development much faster. So that's the, the that's ROS, the robot operating system. And Gazebo is the simulator that plays very well with ROS. Um and it allows you to have your robots in the, in a virtual world and simulates uh, many aspects of the robot from the sensors, like the, what kind of camera image would it produce, what kind of uh, IMU data you would get from the collisions that it would have with other robots and other things in the environment. Uh, so you can simulate all this without having the f- to strain your physical robot, or even if you don't have a physical robot, you can make a robot that doesn't exist in a virtual world. Huh. So these are the two projects here, yeah.
0: And so with uh, Gazebo, how do you uh, simulate like a, a new environment? I mean, are the different environments kind of programmed in there? Or let's say you wanted to have one be a, a, and maybe, I don't know if you can do this or not, but like a, kind of more simulating a warehouse or is it is it more general than that?
1: Oh, like you can, it's general enough that you can simulate any kind of environment that you want. It it depends on how much effort you want to put into it. It depends on what other people have done before and shared. So like warehouse, if you want a warehouse, you can see if someone has shared a 3D model, just a usual like CAD model. Usually you can import any kind of model into the simulation and you can start from that. Uh, You can use existing robots that have been shared. Uh, so yeah, and you and you can really simulate any robot from a humanoid to a quadcopter to hmm. uh, a, an industrial arm. So it's general enough that it covers all these cases. Interesting. And and so what what
0: do you do specifically at LSR?
1: I work mostly on Gazebo rather than ROS, um, and I work mostly on. Well, we, we all like we're a small team, so everybody does a little bit of everything. But I do uh, mostly user interface, so the graphical user interface, uh, where uh, are things gonna go? Or how are people gonna interact with the simulation? Uh, we're continuously adding more tools for for people to be able to do more and more different things with the with the simulator.
0: Gotcha. Okay, and and before. Um... Getting involved with OSR, you know, how, how did you get uh, interested in robotics and engineering? Right.
1: Well, I, I, I always kind of liked the way things move. Like, I am fascinated by geometry. I just really like, you know, seeing how things are going to move, where they start, when they're going to stop. And for me, robotics is basically just geometry applied. You know, you have all these links connected by joints and they move in a certain way. Based on their geometry, so this this for me is fascinating. It's just like having this real world, or in you know if you're using Gazebo, just this virtual things that move. Movement is really cool. So that's what drew me into into robotics.
0: Huh, that's a really interesting answer. Yeah. I like it. You like <laughs> movement, nice. Okay, and uh, so in within Gazebo, can you so you can simulate a world like so in theory. Sh- Would it make training a robot much faster? I mean, could you do thousands, I guess if you need the processing power, but thousands of simulations, whereas using these virtual worlds, instead of using one or, you know, five physical robots, you could simulate many robots in um, Gazebo. Is something like that possible? Yes,
1: Uh, definitely, yeah. There's a lot of people using simulation to create, uh, as you said, uh, some situations are hard for you to... Simulate in the real environment. So, if you want your robot to, like, if you have a biped robot and you want it to climb several types of stairs, you yeah. you don't want to build all those physical stairs for your robot to try in the real world. So, you can just quickly put them together in simulation and try your algorithm and see if it works for all, you know a wide variety of stairs much quicker than you would do in real life. Um, You know, the same goes with like conditions for drones. If it's gonna be windy, if it's gonna have obstacles in a certain configuration you can you can have much more flexibility in the virtual environment
0: Interesting yeah it makes sense and and uh and probably cheaper too <laughs> at least initially
1: <laughs> Yes and- definitely <laughs> depending on your robot it it can be really <laughs> expensive to just to get it running every single time you want to try something new so. And, and
0: how, how do you know that the robot in the simulation and the the environment is identical to the robot you actually want to build.
1: That's actually one of the, the tricky parts, right? You, you have to use simulation consciously. You have to know that there is a limit to how much simulation is going to be faithful to reality. It, it, it's a good uh, rule of thumb that if, if your robot works in simulation... Uh, well, if it doesn't work in simulation, then it's not going to work in real life. This is something that probably you can believe, but if it works in simulation, it doesn't translate well to reality every single time. Mm. It's just you can rule out a lot of the crazy cases, but the fine-tuned cases, it, it's really hard to to get that you know the the robot to be modeled exactly, very very detailed, perfectly in the simulation.
0: So if you, if you had a uh... Somebody who was trying to build a robot to go up steps, like you mentioned, and uh, mm-hmm. how and this is kind of a um, tough question, but how you know, they did lots of simulation within Gazebo, um, how could they, yeah, could they get the robot to actually start training so that when they actually put it in the physical world, would the robot be pretty smart by the time they get to the, the physical world?
1: Yeah, it depends on, on, there's always corner cases that you're not able to predict or, or yeah, simulate, yeah. but, yep. and like little, you know, little problems that might happen in the real life that are harder to simulate. But for example, for my master's research, I was doing human motion imitation in real time. So, uh, A human would be moving in front of a Kinect sensor, the one that comes, the Microsoft Kinect sensor for the Xbox uh, video game. Yeah, so we were capturing human motion in real time with that sensor, and the robot, a tiny little humanoid robot, was copying that motion in real time. And I used a lot of simulation for that, and every time I, I, I could see that if, the robot would be balanced in one foot in simulation and it wouldn't fall on the ground, it would most probably not fall in the real life. Really? So and I didn't want to yeah, and it's troublesome to like be you need to have someone else there to be protecting the robot in case it falls in real life. So I did a lot of my practicing in simulation before I brought the algorithm to to the real robot.
0: Interesting. It must be exciting the first time you try in the with the in the the real robot and it actually stands or gets close to standing on one foot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so um, you know before OSR and um, who you know what type of tools were were people using at universities to do something similar, and it, what what's the advantage of using you know the your the tools at OSR?
1: Um, so like the. Before I think before ROS specifically, I think it was much more complicated for teams to to get their to get just the the base to start working on their robots. So just just doing the whole framework and connecting everything to start doing. So let's say you have a team who. Want to do some new navigation for your robot? You don't care about the drivers for the motors. You don't care about you know the specifics of the camera that you're using. You just want something that works, so you can work. Focus on your little detail. And you would, you as a as a lab as an institution would waste a lot of time just putting those pieces together, until you finally got to the point where you could work on, on what you wanted to focus on. So Ross kind of gave you uh, that head start. You can search from what has been done by other people, what has been shared with the community to quickly put all the pieces together, and then you start focusing on the specific things that you want to focus on. So this this is something that really, I, I believe, uh, has sped-up development, especially in universities where you don't have big teams or sometimes you don't have money to buy expensive software, and you can really leverage from these free open-source tools. And the same goes for Gazebo. You can have many students working on the same robot at the same time, even though the university only has one robot. They all have their own virtual copies of the robot. So I think it was very good for academia, and increasingly it's been good for... uh, industry as well like the the ceo of Simba robotics they they make a a robot that goes in warehouses checking their inventory he said that they would have spent 22 years developing their robot <laughs> if they didn't have ross really? and he said they spent 18 months from nothing to robot wow. so it's it's really powerful
0: yeah yeah that's and it and the beauty of it is only just get more and more powerful as more people use it and contribute back and yeah. That's
1: true. Yeah, one of the, the biggest assets is the community is the fact that there is a lot of people using it. For huh. sure.
0: Interesting. Um and, and do you know why they you probably weren't there at the very beginning, but why they decided to go the, the non profit route. I mean I love the I love the the mission and everything, but you know, the it, this also seems like it could be a pretty interesting for profit company too. Um <laughs>
1: Well, we we do open source and and people can use our product for free so it's kind of hard to to make a profit out of That's this uh, of course sure. there are models <laughs> where you can where you can do this um, but yeah I think that the immediate I, I wasn't I'm not one of the founders I wasn't here from the beginning so I'm not sure yeah, yeah. Uh, on the decisions that were made but um, yeah I'm I'm sure that it's it's the model that makes sense and, and has been making sense for a while
0: yeah no, that makes sense okay. And uh, what's, well, let's see, I'll start with a, you know, do you have, actually, I guess you already gave a, a, a good uh, use case. That one was probably the best one of 22 years down to 18 months. Um, mm-hmm. What about, uh, so that's for Ross. What about with a, a gazebo? Do you have any uh, good use cases for that okay. or, yeah, a story where somebody uh, used it and saved time or where, we're very happy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> very happy. I, I think that the biggest use case for Gazebo uh, so far has been the DARPA robotics challenge. Oh. Uh, I don't know if you've heard about that. It, it was a big uh, robotics challenge uh, where humanoid robots had to compete in rescue tasks. Uh, so it, yep, they had yep. to go in a course that for a human, it would have taken like two minutes. It's just like driving a vehicle in a short a time and then opening a door, turning a valve, or walking over some rough terrain, and for a human that would be very easy, uh, you know, if the human could get to to that place. Okay. But of course, there are advantages to using robots, like with radiation. Like they, at that time, they were thinking a lot about the Fukushima power plant in Japan, that there were no robots to send in there. So that was the motivation for the challenge. And the first phase of the challenge was a virtual competition inside Gazebo. Oh no. Way. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like things from all around the world, anyone could uh enter the competition and they would everybody would be using this very same robot in the very same conditions in simulation and uh they would all so the only thing they were competing was who had the best algorithms, right? It's not about who's building the best robot, it's about who can use the robot best so the competition was all running gazebo it was running the cloud so the teams could control their their robots um uh, from far away and uh and the teams who won the the competition they the virtual competition they received a real robot a physical robot and to, to compete in the physical competition later on oh, and wow. they received funding and all wow. yeah so the first phase was in gazebo and out of the twenty three teams that were in the finals, fourteen teams had used Gazebo actively for their development. So That's including insane. like many of the, the best placed teams.
0: How I'm curious, do you remember how fast the, the, the humanoid uh, finished the, the track? Or the Oh, it was
1: almost an hour. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Us humans it was are just like... so smart. No, it's um, yeah, pretty funny. But I mean, yeah. look, look at the
0: DARPA self-driving car competition, like just like ten years ago or twelve years, whenever that was, mm-hmm. and how bad they were now. So you know, maybe in ten years, we'll have a like, human exactly. walking yeah. all over the place.
1: Definitely, <laughs> the the competition really made the robots be better. Like between the the midterms and the finals of the competition, there was a big improvement in the robots. So hopefully they will only continue improving from now on. So with,
0: so how could they get that down to two minutes? I mean, just in the simulation, would more, you know, if they had all of Google's processing power, could they get that down? Do you think, or is it more to keep tweaking the algorithms? Is that more the issue, or is it more training?
1: Oh, I, I think there is probably like a lot of improvements to be done on. On all sides, okay. from the mechanics, <laughs> okay. from the mechanics to the decision making, uh, and in the competition, it wasn't fully autonomous. Like there were people who people who could control the robot, but there was some latencies in the communication. So if you relied purely on the humans giving instructions and no autonomy for the robot, you would waste a lot of time in this back and forth of the communication. Um, uh-huh. So yeah, in the case of this competition, building more putting more autonomy on the robots would have gained them some time and of course there's a lot of uh, other things like battery life and things like this that would really help mm-hmm. yes yes you know, there's plenty of room to, for improvement
0: makes sense okay and uh what's uh you know what's kind of the five year or shorter or longer vision for gazebo what else
1: for gazebo yeah um well one of the yeah mid to long term uh, goals that we have right now as a team is to improve the usability of Gazebo. So we really want to make it more accessible for people of different backgrounds. Right now Gazebo is a great tool if you're a computer scientist and you know your way around Linux and you can uh you you can find your way and and for, for this kind of user, it's great, but it, we're looking into other users who could profit from Gazebo, for example, mechanical engineers like myself, who might not be so Linux savvy, who might not know C++ so well. How can we make Gazebo easier for these people to also, uh, you know, take advantage of it? So we're really trying to build some tools to make it, uh, like make it easier for you to build robots right now. It's a lot. Text-based. You have to write a lot of text to build your 3D model. Uh, we are currently working on a robot editor that is point-and-click, more like a CAD software. Wow. Uh, yeah, and like having a online database of models so people can share their existing models and more easily put together their world. Like we were saying before, uh, and also like some. Uh, other technical things like making gazebo run on windows you know a lot of mm. non-computer scientists you know most people use windows and it would be nice to just have gazebo ready to work on windows properly
0: interesting lots well, of exciting future that'd be great if you opened it up to uh, <laughs> to lots of different folks interesting okay um and well you kind of answered it i was i was curious what the The tech stack was what languages are using but you kind you of answer with linux um mm-hmm. but but i was curious if if somebody wanted to develop let's say a new environment within gazebo to simulate a robot in let's say like a, a cherry orchard just throwing it <laughs> out there and the how mm-hmm. how would they go about doing that um would it be all text i guess it would be would it be all text based or how they make that happen?
1: Well, right now we have a robot editor where you can do most things you cannot do you cannot edit all the little details of the robot yet or very easily, but that's something that we are working actively on um but yeah, it would be mostly writing text, which is like kind of like XML or yep. html okay. that's the way that you describe the world and but if you actually want to make things move and send commands to things in your world then you need to know some c++ gotcha. uh okay yeah so it's not too and bad. of course like knowing linux
0: yeah wouldn't hurt <laughs> or is essential <laughs> yeah <laughs> that,
1: that would, would help. <laughs> help
0: all right so yeah actually building it out isn't too bad you know it sounds like it's a kind of a markup language, but, uh, but then Mm -hmm. if they actually make it useful, it probably needs a little more technical knowledge.
1: Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um, yeah. And we're almost done here at the interview, unfortunately, but got a one or two more questions. I was curious, this is more of a fun question, but, uh, if, if you could build one type of robot right now to do something, what would it be? If you think about this, I don't know if you think about it, but i do i I think about it all <laughs> yeah. the time, yeah okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and and that's the thing. If I had an answer right now, I would go home and start <laughs> building that robot right now, <laughs> it's yeah, true. it's no, it's true, it's, I'm
0: sorry, oh no, it's true, i like, um right, it's hard to know exactly what would be the most useful, um as far as a robot, mm-hmm. yeah, but yeah, so you don't necessarily yeah. have an answer, or you're not sure.
1: Um, yeah, well, I have a vague idea that I would like, you know, I really think that robots can do a lot of repetitive tasks that, you know, humans don't need to be doing. So things around the house or, you know, in their daily lives that really we could just delegate to a robot. Um And so I would love to do a robot that would help people in their daily lives and free their time like this, like doing their laundry and washing the dishes and, you know, grocery shopping and stuff like that, uh, self-driving cars. Um, And also I'm really interested in empowering people. So if I, you know, could work on making a robot that would uh, facilitate manufacturing, uh, I really like 3D printing um, and I really think it, it has the potential to empower people. So, you know, bringing factories to little communities and making them less dependent on on other uh, big corporations, that that would be cool. So I have only vague ideas. I don't have a specific (laughs) robot. I I like that.
0: Well, yeah, especially with the home robots, it's something that could, you know, completely change. Like the iPhone, when it came out, that was cool. And it kind of helped people, definitely, in certain regards. But, man, but you know it doesn't necessarily save you time and uh so if you had like a laundry robot or a cooking robot robot people could stay in their homes longer and you could save a lot of time and oh my goodness that'd be nice so could, yeah could you that'd sim- be great <laughs> do you simulate uh, uh, a laundry environment in gazebo
1: what kind of environment Where, like do,
0: uh, a robot doing laundry
1: doing laundry <laughs> uh i think some yeah there has have- I've seen people uh, like folding clothes on like using robots to fold clothes in gazebo. It's kind of hard because we don't simulate fabric very well. Okay. Um, So it's kind of like a shirt that is made out of like plates (laughs) that fold on joints. It's very rigid body uh, gazebo right now. So, but yeah, people do a lot of like cooking environment there's like if you download gazebo right now you can put a a kitchen there and you can put like plates and things like that oh wow
0: okay interesting and and i know you're creating a virtual environment with the gazebo like have you have you put it in virtual reality you know like a actual vr headset like oculus or oh yeah have you done that? Yeah,
1: we, we give some demos. Uh we support right now the the Oculus Rift. Okay. And uh but this like, you know, it's been a couple of years that that we have been supporting it. And when we do demos for for at conferences and things like this, people usually can like control the robot from the point of view of the robot in the simulation. Oh wow. Uh, yeah, we're also starting to support the open source VR, OS VR uh, set. Um, so yeah, you can, you can be inside gazebo. Oh, that's cool. Do do you think, I was always curious,
0: do you think that's a a big help seeing the simulation in, um, like in, I don't yeah. In VR versus just on a computer screen. Like, does it help you make better decisions and choices about the robot and how to build it?
1: Um, I'm sure it, it might help. I, well, it, the, the, First-person point of view can be also limiting, right? It's not the same as seeing things from very far away, zoomed out. Um, but that, like, uh, once this guy came asking me if, like, that he wanted to show his clients his robot in in a factory, and he wanted to use the VR for this, like, to show how the robot, you know, for them to feel like how it would feel if they bought the robot and put it in his factory. Um, so there's a little bit of that. I guess. Yeah, yeah. For All the right. VR in yeah.
0: No, that makes sense. Okay.
1: I'm I'm not so sure as much for developments Maybe there is. I mean, VR has so much potential, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, unfortunately, I think that just about does it for this interview. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was really good to meet you, Louise, and to hear your, sto- your story and uh, hear more about nice uh, uh, what you. you're yeah. working on. It's really interesting and. Yeah, I mean the tools you're building now are definitely going to help uh the rest of the world build tools for the f- future. So it must be pretty exciting going to work. Well, it, it mm-hmm. I, besides all the meetings and stuff, it, the overall must be pretty exciting going to work each day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fun. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice. Okay. Well, uh yeah, thanks again and thanks everyone for listening to another episode of Flyer Labs. I appreciate it as always. And we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone.
1: Bye.